This is the Strength and Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. All right, Mr. Bain, here we are, episode 50. Number 50. So we were well over, what, 60-some episodes total at this point? Yeah, we got the interviews and everything, but this is the, the 50th standalone episode. There we go. So uh, Crazy. before we jump into the topic at hand for the day, some loose ends from past episodes. Um, any feedback from our buddy, Quad Papa? No, I don't know, because I'm blocked. Are you really blocked? Yeah. I So... When he had a total disqualified by the USAPL, uh, this is when I got blocked by the USAPL too. I sent you remember the comment uh, hashtag free hamstring poppy because I think I think the reason why his total was disqualified was bullshit, regardless of him. Right? No, I actually I actually agree with you on that yeah. because his total got disqualified because like he let his mask come down come down during yeah. his squat yeah. even though it was on. And so I say once again, fuck the USAPL and. So for whatever reason, like I think it, something else happened where I either interacted with him on a uh, comment thread, and yeah, so I'm I'm blocked uh, from the USAPL and from him, and so I don't know, uh, but oh. I haven't haven't got any DMs, so who knows? Yeah, I don't think I'm blocked. I don't think Strength and Anger is blocked either. Uh, I have to go. Well, I've got a few other finstas that I can <laughs> go utilize if I need to. So sure, sure. Uh, but no, nothing that I've seen. So okay. Well, I did get some message about that, but not nothing. From him, but okay. What, what really were some of the messages? Me. I'm, I'm interested. Oh, they just wanted to know what exact post it oh, was. Okay. It gotcha. was from uh, History of Strength Sports Instagram. Yeah. Shout out to them; they have a good Instagram page. They're solid Instagram. I actually had a really uh, cool couple posts the last couple of days. Uh, they're getting a lot of guest posting, and there's just a lot of like very interesting niche pieces of strength history um, that they've been posting here in the last couple of days. So, big shout out to them. Okay, cool. Dr. Fred interview has been dropped. Holy um, shit. Yeah, holy cow. I mean, <laughs> it's quite a quite an interview, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, I think I will crop out either just the interview or maybe just the COVID-19 information because I know that, like, some of my family members would enjoy listening to that. They don't necessarily want to listen to you and I babble on about powerlifting for yeah. two hours prior to. I mean, they always could just fast forward or pick the spot, but um, might, might, be, uh, might be good just to crop that out and... Have it as a standalone little... I don't think it would hurt because I, I think, you know, we've gotten a lot of really great feedback on the episode overall. I think people had fun with it. But also, like, when he, when he starts getting into the meat of COVID and and why it's unique. And, and you know, my family knows where I stand on most of the stuff. And so they, they braced themselves when I said we had a really good interview with Dr. Fred. And I said, no, you, you really... Because he comes... And, and the immunity aspect. That's, yes. to me, what was very yes. interesting is him describing you know, kind of the manner in which the immune system actually works. Yes, and how it responds and how it specifically responds to COVID and how this can be good and how it can be dangerous in, in the way that it responds and, and why, because of the uniqueness of it and the way that it's folded. I mean, the way I broke it down to my family is this is all the way down to the RNA, to the, the you know, microcellular levels that he got into this and, and he did it in a very concise way. It's not like we were sat here for, you know, a five hour lecture. I mean, the COVID part of this was basically an hour of the interview. 
Yeah, it was about a two-hour interview, an hour of powerlifting, hour of COVID nineteen. Yeah. And so I think, and we got some, you know, very good feedback from our buddy uh, Michael Fahey, uh, as far as just, it was a very good, concise, and left a lot of opportunity for more discussion because you know Dr. Fred did put out there the different areas where you can go find this information. Like, hey, yeah, go, go look it up yourself. Go check it out. So uh, really appreciate Dr. Fred coming on. A lot of great feedback so far on that interview. Yeah. Uh, we got uh, a new logo we put out on the Instagram page. Yeah, we've talked about it in past episodes, so we're we're finally getting closer to working on some merch. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've got a couple things. We'll probably put one up both for two XL powerlifting and strength and anger. Um, mm-hmm. So we've got some other good good two uh, XL uh, you know apparel we'll put out there, and then we said. Yeah, and then we'll of course put out uh, some strength and anger stuff as well. Mister Bain's got some good ideas for. Various versions of shirts. Yes, and uh, we do we do want your votes on who is strength and who is anger. We did get some feedback. I put it up on on the gram uh, as far as a little uh, little poll. Uh, would love your guys' feedback on who is strength and who is anger. Okay. Other than that, Mister Bain, what's going on? Uh, well, biggest news is uh, meat prep is done, man. Uh, so all all the heavy lifts are done. I've got openers set. Uh, weight's good to go. I am what the young people affectionately call dialed in. That's interesting that you're doing your openers two weeks out. Typically, we would do them one week out. Um, I have done it where I've done a deload two weeks out and then openers a week out, or I've done it maybe where, you know, I've had some lifters do their openers 10 days out at mm-hmm. maximum, but I don't know if I've ever done two weeks out. I'm not saying that's wrong. Just Yeah, it's, it's you know, it seemed to work really well uh, the last cycle that I worked with, uh, with at the Heartbreak Kid, Sean Coplin. Uh, going into Worlds last year, I had a pretty good meet at that uh, at that meet, and so we feel this is you know good. Obviously, I'm giving my body some time to rest, given that I've got you know some extra equipment in me, and uh, you know really want to make sure that I'm well rested for because really the, there are there is one big number that's important. We we know that one is a 705 squat, and secondarily, if we could you know possibly get a 402 bench, awesome. If not, you know it, that's not as big a deal to us, but uh, yeah, so. Feeling good and feeling strong, and there's no pain in the arm, which is good. That's uh, really good. How's your supination? I haven't seen it lately. Uh, I mean, you, you can see it, you know, comparatively. I actually just stretched it out tonight with the uh, with the sledgehammer, but I mean, it's pretty pretty, pretty close, pretty even. There's only a couple degrees difference. There's really only about three four degrees difference when I was released from rehab. Okay. Uh, I will say this. I I will I would be lying to you if I did not say I was probably as nervous for this meet as I've ever been, only because. When I step on the platform on the twelfth, that will be uh, seven months and five days post op, and that is a very short time period. And so I no, will, you don't. You're not using that left arm as your underhand on the deadlift, are you? No, I am not. It is oh. my overhand. Okay, yeah. So, but it, it's still it, it is a little nerve wracking. Uh, again, just because of just the short time frame, I really didn't think I was going to compete in 2020, and then I obviously made the decision to. I'm going to go through with that. Uh, it, it's just kind of a heady thing to think that it's that close so that's all stone what's going on with you well as you talked about we do have uh the illinois raw power challenge yeah. uh, at this time you know about a week and a half out mm-hmm. um got three well we have two full days one one kind of like i don't know 25 percent day of bench only but two you know relatively full days um so and then the following weekend we've got the midwest equipped open mm-hmm. um which our girl Yanifer Gimmel will compete along with some other pretty Dang. big, some other pretty big uh, equipped lifters will be coming in here. So that's a smaller meet in comparison. The, to probably the Raging Bull, Steve Brock will be on the platform again. 
yeah, it'll probably end up being more like 25, 30 lifters as mm-hmm. opposed to like 150 lifters for the raw meat. Right. So, uh, but two meats, two weeks in a row. Um, yikes, as we say around here. <laughs> but then I will get to take a break for Christmas, and we have no events in January. Mm-hmm. We'll have a small uh, intro beginner's meet in February, and then we'll start ramping things up uh, with uh, two state meets we're going to do next year. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I like the format you you decided to go with for this. Yeah, we're going to go uh, kind of like we're doing this you know, right now for the mm-hmm. raw meat and equipped meats. Yep. Um, we're going to do a similar kind of format for the state meat, at least for next year. I don't know that we'll do it forever. We'll see how we like it. But mm-hmm. kind of the thought process, we've got this space. Mm-hmm. And because of, you know, COVID governmental guidelines, we do need to make the events a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. So it probably makes more sense to do more smaller events rather than fewer bigger events as, as we've done in the past. Sure. We've had to go to outside venues. So, Definitely. yeah, we're going to do a raw Illinois state meat um, the third weekend, March, and then the equipped Illinois state meet the following weekend. Yeah. Um, so it'll be two weekends in a row again, but not, although not until March. Very excited so. for that. It's going to be fun. Other than that, Mr. Bain, what is bullshit? All right. So let's give you some context. So every morning I have this routine, I get up, I'm up roughly between five and five thirty, and I have a string of things that I do. You know, I send out some emails for work. I check a variety of apps. They are like my sleep app, my uh, you know various financials. I do check the the stats on the uh, on the podcast. See you know how listens went up over uh, over the course of the evening because we do have uh, listeners that are outside the U.S. So I have all these things that I do. One of the things I do, I do check on Yahoo for a couple of just you know different news outlets. I see you know I got a, a conglomerate of uh, news things that come through there, and I see on there the other day that there is an article titled. Internet health challenge could be dangerous to your or bad for your health. I'm like, okay, whatever. Or I think it was latest challenge could be bad for your health. Now, I assume when I see that, it's going to be something like the Tide Pod challenge or, you know, whatever. Something where it, it's very obvious that it's bad for your health. And what they're talking about is the 75 hard challenge. And for those who don't know, the uh, CEO of First Form, Andy Frasilla, came up with this idea. And the big thing with 75 hard is this is not so much about fitness though it is about building habits and so you can go look it up you can see what the challenge is but the big things about it are you're going to follow a diet for 75 days you're going to read 10 pages of a book uh you're going to do a couple other things but the other big uh caveat to it is you're going to have two 45 minute sustained workouts each day every day seven days a week for 75 days wow so it is a lot and the, the, I think the one kicker, and this is the only issue that I have with the challenge, is if you miss a day on any of the items, there's 10 items that you do every day, you start back at day one. Hmm. So for those who maybe have like a failure syndrome or have it, you know, it, it, it could be a big challenge. But the idea that they said that this is actually dangerous and in the wrong hands and even in the right hands, and that it could be dangerous or deadly in this article. And I'm like, what else can we be afraid of today? I, I just, I could not, like, this is a, it, it is designed to create good, healthy habits of getting off of your fucking screen and getting out and moving and reading and growing your mind, your health, your body, building your fucking immune system. And here is somebody who is supposedly an expert. And to be honest, if you read the article, and, and we can post it at some point, where I think they had to reach for this individual's credentials. They seem pretty suspect. It says, this is dangerous in the wrong hands or even in the right what the fuck? I just cannot fathom that. That something that's designed to build your immune system and build good habits is somehow dangerous and bad for you. 
and that you need to consult a doctor and have a doctor monitor you the entire time. Fuck you. Well, I don't know that's a terrible idea to see your doctor if you're completely unhealthy and if you, starting if you are uh, starting, an, uh, starting some kind of exercise routine. Completely sedentary and you haven't had a physical in five years, I will, I will agree with that. Yes, you should probably go get a physical. That's yeah. probably not a terrible Before idea. Before you start doing P90X three times a day. Probably a good idea. But it's the idea that this could be dangerous in both the wrong and the right hand. So you're telling me that I can't do 45 minutes of sustained exercise twice a day? Fuck yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, you know, Fuck what you. is sustained exercise? It could be, you know, sled drags. Or right, it could exactly. be walking on the treadmill. Ma- max ever sled drag. We, we don't do deloads. So, right, exactly. Yeah, that, that, that was bullshit. That just got me all fired up. So that's, uh, that's bullshit. Stone. Oh, boy. What is bullshit? Oh, uh, I'm really fired up about this. <laughs> um, and I'm sorry because I have talked about this one before. So I apologize for reiterating myself. But... Kids not being in school is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sorry to beat the dead horse, but you have a bunch of schools around here in sh- the Chicago We're area. We're beating a dead bat on this one. And they have all sent their kids back home for remote. My my son's school, not. Um, I I think probably one of the better decisions I've made mm-hmm. is I put him in private school at the beginning of the school year because I felt that this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I knew my son, he does not do well with remote learning. Uh, now, right. perfectly great if you're children i've talked to some family members and their their children do fine with remote learning i've talked to other family members whose uh kids are failing well i mean i, I watched jacob during the spring i mean he he did struggle he yeah. did have you know yeah. I, you know he was here with you and i know he did definitely struggle with that yeah and he's behind and he you know he's probably like you could probably find a doctor that would diagnose him as add if you wanted to oh I'm, easy I, I don't know that he necessarily is, and I certainly don't want to medicate him, but does he have attention issues at times? Sure. He's also a little boy. Um, I mean, he's what, six, seven, eight? He's eight. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, eight-year-old boys don't have a great attention span. No. no. I mean, 28-year-old, 38-year-old men yeah. don't necessarily have a great attention exactly. span. Exactly. So, uh, you know, not to beat the dead horse, but kids need to be in school. Um, Dr. Fauci, our mm-hmm. coronavirus expert, um, recently just said that he thinks that, well, kids probably should be in school, even though in the summertime, he said, well, he couldn't really make a determination on that, um, mm-hmm. which I think there was ample data to support that kids should be in school. Um, but he didn't make a determination at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, now he's come around and said, well, maybe they probably should be in school. New York City, uh, kind of out of the blue. I'm not exactly. It's kind of crazy, actually. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure what happened there. Maybe the parents just got fed up with it. But all of a sudden, they're going back to school next week. All kids back in school. Um, so, uh, you know, like Dr. Fred, I wanted to look up some of the statistics. Oh, and, boy. And is, you know, l- let's really examine what's optimal for the students. Because mm-hmm. shouldn't that be what's f- first and foremost in this? Yeah, it should be what's optimal, not what is going to be perfect. Let's right. be nothing, very clear here. Yeah, no, nothing's perfect, of no, course. There, are, there are inherent risks with everything you do in life. Exactly. Living living is risky. Um, so deaths. I looked. This is directly from the CDC website. Mm-hmm. Deaths from February 1st, 2020 to November 21st, mm-hmm. 2020. COVID... COVID-19 deaths, and I'm not even going to get it, get into the with and because of COVID-19, but yep. these, these are COVID-19 deaths. So ages, it's two people that were positive at, at the time of the autopsy. Yep, yep. yep. Ages 0 to 18, total deaths in that nine-month period, mm-hmm. 144. And we don't want to discount the idea that 144 people are dead. I just want to, I want to be very clear about that, but this next stat that Eric is going to share I think is much more disturbing. Well, bear in mind, we're talking about 144 deaths out of 250,000. Correct. 
deaths with COVID-19. Um, Correct. So let's get, the most recent stats I could find was from 2018 for suicides. And I don't know that I want to call them successful suicides, but suicides that ended in death. Mm-hmm. Children aged 10 to 14. And the reason I chose 10 to 14 was because that's just the way that they categorized it. Um, they didn't do a 0 to 18. They did 10 to 14. How many deaths in 20, the year 2018, which is granted 12 months, not nine, like um, the other sample size. But, but also only a four-year time span or four-year age span versus an 18-year age yes, span. Yes, 596 deaths. And these are children aged 10 to 14. If you go up, and that's the number two cause of death. The, the number one is uh, unintentional accidents. So if you go to ages 15 to 24, it goes all the way up to 6,211 deaths. That's one year, and that's the, the age range of 15 to 24. Again, not exactly the same uh, you know, age ranges there, but you have basically 600 deaths in 2018 for children. If you look at all adolescents, all non-adults, from COVID-19, you've got less than 150 deaths so far. And again, that's not discounting the people that have died. But if we're looking at, you know, we're trying to set public policy that is optimal for the masses, uh, not optimal for not the perfect yes, for the individual. Exactly. And we're focused on the less than 150 deaths versus the, and, and that's, what are the stats going to look like for 2020? Because can, that, can, that's 2018, which is a quote-unquote normal year. Yeah. Do you think the mental health of children is optimal? Sitting in front of a screen alone in the room for hours at a time? If you think that, you are living in a fucking dream world because it's unfucking believable Because a year ago, if you would have said to anybody, I'm going to stick your kid in a room in front of a screen 12 hours a day, seven days a week, for nine months straight, you would say that is crazy. And I'm not saying that it's maybe not necessary in certain cases, in certain scenarios, but for the masses to be having most of their children doing that is one of the worst public policy decisions I could ever imagine in my lifetime. I agree 100%. I will tell you this. I have some friends in California that work in law enforcement. In the time frame of February to June... That was the latest that they had heard. This is when they were telling me about this. It was in July. Uh, they responded to four times as many suicide attempts during that time as they did the entire previous year. Yeah, I just, I think this is a terrible public policy. I, 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 I'm not saying that people that are doing it are inherently bad people. No, I think they. It's a bad decision. I think it's a bad decision. I think it's, I think it's woefully misguided. I know the next logical question is going to be, well, what about them spreading it to their teachers, to their parents, to everybody else? If that's the case, then we should be doing this type of learning every cold and flu season because Mm -hmm. plenty of children ages 0 to 18 come to school with influenza and other types of illnesses. And teachers have the strongest immune systems. That's what I've been hearing my entire life from all my family that are teachers, that Mm -hmm. teachers have the strongest immune systems of any individual you'd meet because of they're always exposed to sick kids Mm -hmm. so i'm not discounting that and i get it but if i've always heard from educators that the number one at the top the tippy top should be what's best for the students you can't make the argument that not being in school is what's best for the students no i I, and if you try to you you're you're wrong you're just playing i'm not even do the voice you're just wrong yeah so that is bullshit i've probably 
uh, rattled on about, you know, public policy long enough. So let's move on to something a little bit lighter, Mr. Bain. Let's have some fun with some Stone Stories, edition two. So for those who don't know, we have started a new segment on the show. Uh, it's called Stone Stories. And this is basically... We, we were going to talk about Tales from the Inbox, but there's so many different stories that go on around the gym, meat specifically, especially, that, and Eric has been putting on meats for, for such a long time. It's like, we need to get some of these out there because they are, just to be very frank, hilarious. And also, powerlifters as a group, not individuals, as a group, we're not smart. <laughs> and these stories prove it many times. So with that, Eric, can you regale us with a new stone story? Well, I've got an, a recent email exchange, and this was actually probably the nexus of what we when we came up with this idea. Mm-hmm. So I figured we better hit this email that I forwarded to you and some others. Mm-hmm. Um, so I received an email from John Doe. No subject, as opposed to other ones where I get only a subject, but, <laughs> but no subject in the message body. Interested in this powerlifting meet? Exclamation point. What are the meat details? No question mark. Eric responds, you're going to have to be far more specific. John Doe responds, or dude. Dude. <laughs> okay, is this a full meet or push-pull? Question mark. What is the weight classes? Question mark. Is the weigh-in the day of the event or 24 hours before? Question mark. Registration deadline? Question mark. All, all of which are all on the registration forms, by the way. Right. Again, you're, gonna, you're giving me no point it, of reference. This is Eric's er- response. Yes. Yeah, my response. Again, you are giving me no point of reference in which to go off of. Which meet? On which date? Dude. Oh, I think it's in March, April. Not sure. Dot, dot, dot. So what were you even referencing in the first place? Like, if you're emailing about a powerlifting Like, meet, where did you even get my email from? Right. You're either doing it on the WPC website, the 2XL website, or APF, Power, APF Illinois. All these things reference a registration form, the date of the meet. At least the date if I don't have the registration up yet. Right. And if the registration form is up, guess what? All of these questions are fucking answered on it. You know, and I was kind of a, a, a smart ass on a recent APF, <laughs> on a recent APF powerlifting post where someone was like, you know, what are the weigh-in? When's the weigh-ins? What are the meat details for an upcoming Arizona APF meet? Yes. And I, and I posted the link to the entry form that was on the WPC website. That entry form did not have any of those details. It's fair. And so in that case, fair question. And I would recommend to the meat director that you should have those details posted on the website, on the entry form. Did you so get a response to that, by the way? No, no response to that. Of course not. Yeah. So, uh, but yes, that, that's, a, that's a typical email I get is, can I find out more info about the meat? Is this the meat in Lombard? Yes. The Lombard meat. Yeah, yeah. That's, just, just like Lombard doesn't exist. Yep. <laughs> so, with that, Mr. Bain, let's move on to our Palooza throwback. Throwback, throwback, throwback. This is, uh, we're going way back, Mr. Bain. We're, we're going way, back. Way in the way back machine. Yeah, we're going back to May 1998 with the man. Goat. Mr. Ed Cohn on the cover. Best lifter alive. And uh, it, the uh, tagline or, you know, info is, uh, is this Ed Cohn's final competitive deadlift? And the deadlift is from... The 1996 IPF Worlds, and we'll, we'll get into in a minute uh, why that would be important. That's very important. Um, also on the cover is Dave Waterman, a bench presser at the 1998 Arnold Classic. Mm-hmm. So those are your those are your cover items on this uh, Powerlifting USA from May 1998. 
But before we jump into that, Mr. Bain, what were you doing in May 1998? <laughs> Shared the story with you before we started recording tonight. It's pretty funny. So uh, it was my sophomore year of high school. Uh, this would have been – this was kind of my coming out party from from a soccer perspective. Uh, you know, So for those who don't know, I played you know high school, college soccer. I played a little bit afterwards. I played soccer for a very long time. And for, Nobody cares about soccer! Thank you. From April through May, it was about an eight-game stretch. Uh, I averaged a little over a goal a game. I had three goals in our first win of the season. At end of the year, I ended up being first team all conference. It was kind of a big deal for us because my high school was not particularly good at soccer at that time. However, during our uh, conference playoff game, I got into a huge argument uh, in the middle of the game with my coach on the sideline. He pulled me. Uh, I didn't agree with it, and this is a very valuable and important lesson I learned about the coach-player relationship. I called him a Nazi. I stormed off the field, and of course, was summarily kicked off the team uh, after that game. So it was uh, it was not good. I had to go through a whole process to get reinstated after the school ended up firing the coach. There was a whole deal with that, but yeah, that was what I was doing in uh, middle to late May of 1998. So uh, Stone, what were you doing? So I apparently messed this up in our notes, but I, I re went back and looked mm-hmm. at the dates again. But in May 1998. I would have been a freshman in high school. I uh, would have been finishing up my freshman year. Um, ironically, that freshman year, I made the decision to switch from soccer to football. Everyone cares about soccer. Um, everyone cares about football, that's for sure. Wrong. Uh, football, americano. Um, I decided to become a soccer-style place kicker in football. The superior um, style. Following in my brother Ken's footsteps. Um, and ironically, it was... Is, is Ben Stone also a soccer-style kicker? Is he straight on? Uh, he's probably like left-footed or something like that. <laughs> um, you kicker. Yeah. So ironically, it was uh, football that got me lifting weights. And so it was partly that decision that got me into football that, you know, going from soccer to football that got me into lifting weights that eventually would lead to me competing in powerlifting. It would have been, you know, around that time the next year, that next spring right. of 99, when I kind of said, hey, you know, maybe I should start looking into this powerlifting thing. Mm-hmm. And then did my first meet in uh, February 2000. We talked about that last week. So I'm interested. At your high school, were the kickers, like, shunned from the weight room? Like, were they, was it not? No. So that was an interesting thing. Even, you know, soccer players definitely were. But even the kickers on our football team were, like, not not allowed, but it was definitely frowned upon for them to be in the weight room. No, in fact, I was treated and that well now when I started at that time as a freshman, um, up until the point in which I had my knee taken out from under me, mm-hmm. um, my sophomore year, which would have been the next year, mm-hmm. um, up until that point I always played another position. I played like receiver, ah. played a little bit of linebacker, played uh defensive back, like safety, cornerback, a couple mm-hmm. different things. I wasn't particularly good at any of those. Um I was fine. Um as a freshman I probably played some as a sophomore, I was playing in a sophomore B game as a receiver, and somebody came and took up my right knee, my kicking knee, mm-hmm. took me out for about eh, half that season. Um, and it was – that was – I mean, you know, you get, you get hurt, whatever. It was especially disconcerting because it, there was the plausibility, and they didn't end up making it, but there was the plausibility that year that the varsity team was going to make it to uh, – the playoffs mm-hmm. and that they would have moved because they really didn't have a true place kicker on varsity that year. Mm. So there's the plausibility that I could have been moved up, but they didn't end up making it into the playoffs. A, B, because I got hurt, I don't think I would have moved up anyway. Right. So uh, 
because my freshman year, my brother Ken was still the varsity kicker, and I was moved up to kick with the sophomore team um, as a freshman and played both, actually. Um, so, yeah, that would have been what was happening that freshman year. I kind of played on both teams. I kicked for the sophomores and then, you know, played receiver, defensive back for the mm. freshman team. Gotcha. So I guess I played other positions, and, like, I would always just treat it like, you know, one of the other guys I hung out with the starting center um, mm-hmm. was my best buddy. He was also the long snapper. Um, that He kind of picked that up since I was a kicker. Mm-hmm. Um, he was long snapping to me, and we'd find somebody to hold, and we'd practice that kind of stuff. Gotcha. So, no, I mean, I was never shunned. I was – encouraged and you know i was always you know maybe i don't know not physically but probably metaphorically patted on the back since i was fairly consistent in the weight room yeah it, it was very much so pre-high school it was the football and wrestling teams were the only ones allowed in the weight room yeah, now that was definitely the case when i was a freshman because at that time we were literally lifting in what was a like like an old bus garage like literally yeah, under the you, yeah you talked about that before. like yeah, literally yeah, yeah. under the stands and yeah. so like it was literally garage they converted and like if you got to the very back part where the platforms were like like the the ceiling sloped down because it was literally under the stands right um and in the summertime there's there was a thin layer of rust that was on, on everything literally everything the yep. bars the plates the benches the dumbbells it was just pure and you'd go out of there if, if you had a white shirt on your white shirt would be just stained with rust by wow. the end of that workout and there was definitely no air conditioning then by my sophomore year they had done an addition that freshman year so they had actually built a, a pretty nice size weight room re-outfitted it had air conditioning which nice. was nice nice so that's what i was doing in may 1998 but what was going on in powerlifting Ooh. so um what wasn't going on in powerlifting is ed Cohn was not competing in the usapl and ipf no he was not um, and on the cover again, they had Ed Cohn's, uh, I think that might be our, uh, our picture for this episode. Yeah, I think it should be. Um, it was from the he, 19th. He's another one we got to interview sometime. He would be very interesting. He's, uh, he's obviously a, a relatively local guy. Yeah. Um, he would be a good one to talk to about, you know, his years in the sport. Maybe talk about this very issue. I've, I've seen other interviews with him talk about this, but, uh, Mike Lambert, editor-in-chief mm-hmm. of Powerlifting USA, interviewed Ed Cohn and talked about the failed drug test from the 1996 IPF Worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ed Cohn contends, obviously, the IPF... Now, if you read through this interview, the IPF does agree that there were some testing abnormalities mm-hmm. and that it wasn't done 100% correctly. This was not Ed Cohn's first failed drug test. At the very least, in the article, he mentions failing one in 85. Right. I thought I remembered reading that this was actually his third failed drug test, but don't quote the, me. This is, this is the one that got him out of the IPF. In the Correct. Case. Yeah, so, so I'm, I'm almost positive this is the third one. Yeah, I thought it was two drug tests in your route now. I, th- I thought because I thought he successfully contested one. But you we, might could, to, you I, could, we might have to go back and look yeah, at that. Yeah, you could but. be right. It doesn't talk about it in this particular interview. Yeah, I, There's other interviews online where I've seen it talked about, but nonetheless, this particular interview, this is the one that definitely got him – Permanently banned mm. from the IPF. Um, it was, at the very least, his second failed drug test. Maybe mm. his third, and maybe he had a third, and, and the second one was was overturned. Um, Cohn claims that a lot of procedures were not followed, including mm. um, they just basically handed him a random cup in a random hallway, um, not sealed, <laughs> and there was no chain of command. Um, it was basically just stuck in a refrigerator in some judge's literal hotel room. Again, this is according to— chain, chain of custody or chain of command? Uh, I'm sorry, chain of custody. Okay, gotcha. I wrote chain of command. That's more like Pentagon. Yeah, yeah. Chain of custody. Got um, it. 
uh, and admittedly, uh, the only thing he tested positive was his TE ratio or his testosterone to epitestosterone ratio. Mm. And they had to test it multiple times to get it to that level. Um, Interesting. The first time they tested it, it was at a relatively normal level. I think he said 7 to 1. The second time, it was 18 to 1. And so he claims, hmm. you know, he, he tried to get it overturned. He appealed it at the 1997 Junior Worlds, mm-hmm. you know, paid for a lawyer, flew out there, yeah. um, gave his appeal. It was ultimately voted down. Um, and we do drug testings, drug tests here in the APF, or AAPF as mm-hmm. it was. And one of the things that I'm always very specific on is I don't touch the actual cup, like w- right. as far as collecting the sample. Um, now, I think in the IPF, they might even do like an NCAA where you have to strip, yep. you know, uh, chest and knees. We don't do that for liability purposes. Um, we don't follow people into the bathroom. No. Um, but I do hand you, the person being drug tested, I hand you the sealed cup and I say, is this sealed? Yes, you open it. So the actual person giving the sample mm-hmm. opens that sealed cup. They provide the sample into the cup. They put the cup into the sealed baggie. Right. They, you know, take their signature and sign all that. So I have the individual collecting the drug test do all of that. Mm-hmm. I'm just overseeing it because I don't want there to be any chain of custody issues. Right. That bag is immediately sealed. It is then put in a sealed FedEx bag, and that night it is overnight shipped to the uh, drug testing company. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is for that very reason, for chain of custody type of issues. Right. Um, so you don't have these kind of things. And, you know, you might say what is it, especially in the, in the modern era of powerlifting, someone might say, like, why does it matter if Ed Cohn can't lift in the IPF? Obviously, he could lift elsewhere. Right. Um, he talks about it in the article. I mean, he lost some endorsements. He lost some supplement endorsements. Mm-hmm. He lost some seminar opportunities. It was even recently that uh, I think some gym in... It was in, na- oh, it was in 2016. It was, was it a gym in, in Finland? Oh, yeah. I was going to say Sweden. Sweden. Yeah, I it was thought one it was, of the two. It was a Scandinavian country that yeah. was going to have Ed Cohn over for a seminar, and they were told if you attend that as an IPF lifter, since Ed Cohn you, is a banned lifter... You will receive a lifetime ban. And, yeah, you will receive uh, repercussions for that. Yep. So it, from a... Ed Cohn, uh, I think you know, uh, business perspective, him being permanently banned from the IPF likely did negatively if, impact his ability to do the things that he wanted to do from a powerlifting perspective. Right. Because I mean, from the, a business perspective, powerlifting wise. Right. Exactly. Because I mean, he he knew that his time on the platform was limited, even though he did dominate for a very long time. Um, and you know, he, I think he fully planned on being able to do seminars and that kind of stuff the rest of his life, and so which he's been able to do more of lately. But yeah. there's a time when he really wasn't doing a whole lot of that. Yeah, he went and lifted in the USPF, which mm-hmm. was the former IPF affiliate, but became its own entity and then right. was no longer a drug-tested or at least not a a stringently drug-tested organization. Right. Um, and he lifted in the Mountaineer Cup, which was kind of the single-ply professional meet associate, you know, at the same time running at the beginning of the, the WPO and the the, the early to mid 2000s um, and then he would famously uh, bust up his knee at a Mountaineer Cup mm-hmm. meet um, and that was pretty much it for his super competitive career um, as you said now he started to do a little bit more of those seminars but uh, now let's be honest here though do we believe that it's plausible that Ed Cohn you know could have failed a drug test I believe it's plausible yeah I believe that's very plausible now does that mean that he should have been permanently banned based on this plausibly uh, improperly performed drug test? Eh. I'd say, I mean, if 
if what he says is true, the drug test should have been thrown out. Uh, I don't. I don't know that it's be true. That's what Ed Cohen claims. Um, you know, and if you read his article, he said even some of the people voting against him said, "Oh, yeah, some of those procedures need to be you know kind of tightened up," but they still said. He's still banned. Yeah. I, I think, think I think there are some individuals in the IPF. There's a bit of a witch hunt there is my view. My I, view. I, I think there are some individuals in the IPF that wanted Ed Cohen out, <laughs> and they found a way to get him out. Yep. That's my feeling, and that, I believe, is probably Ed Cohen's feeling as well. I, I th- say he probably agree with you. So, uh, also on the cover was Dave Waterman at the 1998 Arnold Classic. He did a 6'11 bench at 186. Dang. And one best overall lifter at... Uh, this would have been an APF meet run by Gary Benford. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, Karen Kidder would take that over. It was an APF-sanctioned event. This was taking place on the main stage at the Arnold Classic. Well, it nice. was now the rogue stage. Yes. Um, and that was the case when the de- when the WPO was there in the early to mid-2000s. They would actually have two events, kind of mm-hmm. like the XPC. Right. They would have their main full powerlifting event in the ballroom, and then they would have the bench bash on that main stage. Mm-hmm. Um, at uh, in the Expo Hall, and that's right. all that was going on, I think, at least from the APF perspective. I don't know if there was any other powerlifting going on there, um, but there was only nine men and two women. And if you've ever been to the Arnold Classic, essentially, now it's the rogue stage, right. as you said, but right. when it used to just be the main stage, they would have various different kinds of exhibitions and events mm-hmm. that would jump on there to the main stage, and they'd basically, you know, you've got two-hour time block. Or you've got an hour time block to put on an event. And well, that's, well, now they've got two stages. They've got the bodybuilding stage, which will also double as the strongman stage. Sure. And they've got the rogue stage as well. Ah, okay. Yeah. Uh, so at this time, it was, I think, just one main stage, but there was a lot of people watching. Yeah. Um, but it was a very small meet. Nine men, two women. Um, took place uh, March 7th, 1998. Wow. Of note also was George Halbert from Westside. Also did 655 bench at 220. Um, one Anthony Clark, who we talked about last week mm-hmm. quite a bit, he bombed at this particular meet. He was trying to take a uh, crack at the 308, so he'd cut some weight. Mm. He was trying to take a, a crack at the all-time world record for 308, but he did bomb at that meet. Gotcha. Um, and we talked about him and the controversial 800-pound bench he did yes. at a, uh, I believe it wasn't the 97 Arnold Classic? Uh, I believe that's yeah, what it was. it was yeah. the 97 Arnold Classic, the, the previous year. Um, you also had, I thought, a pretty interesting, you know, Herb Glossbrenner list. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had the top 10 all-time men's senior nationals. Interesting. Um, Very so, specific. Yeah, so, and we actually touched on this last week with Dr. Fred, um, and we've talked about this before, but... Uh, this goes back actually to powerlifting's roots and weightlifting because mm-hmm. they call their main nationals senior nationals, right? Not as senior like as an old, although the lifters are older. Mm-hmm. But they would have senior nationals, and right. then they would have junior nationals, mm-hmm. which was not the age division. It was just lifters, you know, not quite at the level of senior nationals. So right. think about it almost like, like a lesser qualifier, essentially. Yeah, I, I think it was. Well, at least for the APF, it was the same qualifying total. Um, but it was someone that had not yet placed first at senior nationals and maybe wasn't up to the level of the competition at senior nationals. So, so, so you would have had to win junior nationals to get into seniors? No, no. No, okay. no you would not. You, can't, you could not have won seniors and competed in juniors. Got it. So think about junior nationals almost like a, you know, like a, a, a B nationals, a B squad nationals. Gotcha. And senior nationals, the A squad. Gotcha. Um, 
So, you know, this is, I guess, only lifts done at Senior Nationals. Um, I'll, I'll just read through a couple of the of the interesting ones that I saw in here. Um, the top squat of anybody of any weight class is of Steve Goggins nice. with a 1,032 squat at 242. Wow. So that's not even, you know, 275, 308, you know, super heavyweights. Um, but that was the top squat. Uh, as we talked about here today, Ed Cohn was top of the 220 with a 926 squat with an 865 deadlift and a 2309 total mm-hmm. at 220. So he's he's the top there even at APF. Um, Doug Furness, who's a guy who's pretty well known, has a 981 squat at 275 at the top of the chart. Kenny Patterson, a <laughs> 683 bench, um, another you know pretty well known guy. Our guy Kieran Kidder at this time had the top 308 squat at 942. We should add though that 308 at that time, you know, in late 96 or mm-hmm. late nine late 90s. Um, that would have been a newer weight class. I'm not exactly sure when they added the 308 class, mm-hmm. but it wasn't always a weight class. In fact, uh, when we were looking at some of those top 100 lists last week, you know, we were looking for this mythical, you know, Tim Isaacs 800-pound yeah, yeah, yeah. bench at either 308 or super heavyweight, and there was no 308 list in the Powerlifting USA Top 100 because right. they so didn't have the weight class. They didn't do it well. There was a three-weight weight class by that time in some organizations. Powerlifting USA just didn't do a three-weight list because gotcha. not all organizations had one. So um, it was not as, as recognized yet. Right. Matt Dimmel from Westside was top on Super Heavyweights with 936. Anthony Clark top on the bench with uh, 672. Mm-hmm. So your top senior nationals total was uh, John Ware, with a 2309. Um, Doug Furness is even higher, though, with a 2403 at 275. Mm-hmm. Uh, aforementioned Steve Goggins had a 2399. We already mentioned Ed Cohn, 2309 at 220. Uh, Goggins was a 242. So compare that to, you know, now at the WPO this year, we had, you know, on a kind of off day, you had uh, Dave Hoff with 29. 2900 plus. You have, I mean, Danny Tenehero, 2500. Right. So. The top total, again, this is 1998. Mm-hmm. The top total of any weight class was Doug Furness, and that was back in 87. Wow. With a 2403. Wow. So uh, just interesting stuff. That's kind of an interesting list that our guy Herb Glossbrenner of the Glossbrenner Coefficient came up with. Um, back in ab training by Louis Simmons. <laughs> we do reverse hoppers every day, twice a day. And that's how we get in all of our extra workouts. So uh, you you could kind of guess the types of things that Louie listed here, but, you know, he did go through his various different types of good mornings for mm-hmm. the back. Um, regular hypers or back raises were on there. Mm-hmm. Cable pull-throughs. Um, and then, of course, reverse happers. <laughs> and there was actually an advertisement. I don't for, know, what if I did the back raise in reverse? <laughs> there actually was an advertisement for one of the original reverse hypers in oh, this really? issue. Oh, wow. Um, it's a much – it's the same design, but the actual, like – width front to back of the unit was much smaller like sure compared to the current units it's about half oh wow um much much smaller um he's big on for abs he's big on side bends which is one i used to do a lot of i haven't really done a lot lately he talked about doing them with a cable machine with the, yep. the cable machine on your head um or, or strapped over your head which i thought was kind of interesting interesting um he does talk about he called them side deadlifts i'd call those suitcase deadlifts mm-hmm. um and then talked about leg lifts which i'm not big on i think it just like I'm, I'm surprised he didn't talk about. Maybe he came to that later. 
Um, I know he's real big on standing abs. Mm -hmm. I'm also not big on those. I think both those and leg lifts, most people will end up using more of their hip flexors Mm. um, as opposed to, uh, I think, with even things like side bends or certainly side deadlifts and different types of core bracing holds, you know, using your abs in that bracing type of scenario. Right. um, But, you know, those are some of Louie's thoughts on uh, back and abs. And that's kind of there was an advertisement for APF Senior Nationals. Mm-hmm. It was going to be July 4th through the 5th, which is pretty interesting to hold a meet on yeah, July, July 4th. July 4th, really? Yeah, that's what it said. July 4th, 1998 in Northbrook, Illinois. That's crazy. Um, and they were going to run at this time, which I'd never even heard of. Um, they must have done it a couple different times. They ran APF, AAPF Bench Nationals, hmm. August 2nd, 1998 in Aurora. Um, both are going to be run by Jim Johnston. Mm-hmm. who is interesting. It's not a name I'm really familiar with, and you know, I was around shortly thereafter. I'm fairly certain that he was the official meet director of the 2000 APF Teen Junior Master Nationals that I referenced last week. Interesting. Um, I'm pretty sure he ran that meet, but I don't remember meeting him. I remember meeting Ernie. Um, I remember meeting uh, Mike Sweeney at mm-hmm. that meet. Um, oh, I, Sweeney. I remember meeting uh, you know, a couple other people that I would go on to know Maris, that mm-hmm. I would go on to know at later meets, but I don't really remember Jim Johnston. Um, and someone I, I'm going to have to run up the, the flagpole, maybe to, I'm sure if I asked Dick Zenzen, he would remember him, but he was sure. obviously running meets. I'm sure he ran them, you know, alongside Ernie mm-hmm. um, because, you know, it was. I mean, Ernie's right here. So, yeah, yeah, Ernie's right there. I'm sure he was. I mean, at the meet that I did, um, it was ran at like a community center in Aurora, the Teen Junior Master Nationals in. Uh, 2000, I believe it was May 2000. It was running like a community center, and it was a decent setup, dual platform. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was definitely Ernie's equipment, or at least some of it was on the platform. So um, I I saw meat results from the AAU Raw Extravaganza. Raw. And so at least we know that in 98, there was at least some raw meats. It sounded like from the meat results, it was the third year, Mm -hmm. and that they'd started at 96. So I think it's plausible that there was some raw meats going on, maybe even all the way back in the, the... the mid to late nineties. Um, it definitely was not, there wasn't many. Right. Um, we talked it, about, it was like, unique that you saw this. Yes. I mean, we talked about even two years later, we saw, you know, the USA raw, right. Um, which was basically just a Daryl latch, you know, uh, skinned meat. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like people white labeling it. It was all Daryl latch <laughs> meats. And he'd say, Oh, this is USA raw. Um, <laughs> There was lots of meat results in general. Like, probably half the issue was meat results. Oh, wow. Lots of unsanctioned meats. Like, lots. Lots of, like, just pure gym meats. Oh, um, so, which, you, so open powerlifting would not have liked these at all? Uh, no, definitely not. <laughs> um, we also had the top 100 275ers. So Yay! A pretty, so a pretty interesting list. So let's go back. So now, bear in mind, in 1997 to 98, there probably would have been double ply equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, there might have been canvas squat suits. There was definitely denim bench shirts um, by that point, but mm-hmm. not quite. Definitely the bench shirts, not what they would end up being today. Right. Um, in the squat is a Franz lifter, Bill Nichols, with a 970 squat. Um, a name I don't think we've run up before, but a guy that he was kind of obviously getting out of the sport when I was starting, but mm-hmm. I, I certainly know the name. Um, Greg Beetle Lowe. Have we talked about him before? No. Uh, a 925 squat. I'm surprised we haven't. He was a USAPL lifter um, 
and he was in prison for murder. Jesus. And he was allowed to leave prison. We have talked about yes. that, I think. He was allowed to leave prison to compete at USAPL Nationals. I don't even know how he freaking com- like trained because he did some... I- Again, in this one, he's got a 925 squat. I know that he squatted in the 900 close to 1,000. How the fuck do you even find the weight to train in prison? Well, if you're the biggest guy, you can kind of tell people what to do, I suppose. Yeah, I guess so. But uh, <laughs> yeah, this bar, I'm gonna make it I feel like there. I don't know. Like, I would love to hear more about this story. I would love to have somebody on to tell a bit more about this. Like, mm-hmm. like how was like how did that work? Like, did he have a prison guard with him? Yeah. How, and I, from what I'm told, this is. From message boards. So I don't know this 100%. Maybe I should look it up and we could do a little bit more research. But I remember hearing that he was in prison for murder. Jesus. But he was allowed to leave to do. And, <laughs> and, and, and it was fairly controversial because, I mean, imagine a murder yeah. being allowed to compete at a powerlifting. Like you killed a person. And maybe it was like, you know, uh, second degree, you know, manslaughter. And so it wasn't quite like, you know, first degree cold-blooded murder. <laughs> but nonetheless, he was definitely in prison. He was you, allowed you to... You were com- responsible for someone's death. And he was allowed to compete in ADFPA meets and then USAPL meets for a short time. I don't think it's... Wow. I don't think it's occurred in quite a while. But in this era, I remember that it was happening. Um, Glenn Chabot, who we talked about last week being in the top 100, mm-hmm. actually, I think in... Uh, you know, both uh, we were looking in that that 1999-ish range mm-hmm. to, to look for the results for, uh, you know, Tim Isaacs with the mythical 800-pound bench he supposedly did to right. summit in Arizona. He's top on the bench, you know, a year per- previous with a 700-pound bench. But right behind him is Kenny Patterson, 700-pound bench. From right behind West him is J.M. Blakely, also from Westside, 655 <laughs> bench. <laughs> Um, we've also got in the deadlift, Bull Stewart, I believe a USAPL guy, 826 deadlift. Nice. And we've got uh, our Franz lifter, uh, Bill Nichols, 2276 total at 275. Wow. Um, we also got Fred Hatfield in here with an 854 squat. Mm-hmm. Um, he would uh, have a 2083 total, so interesting to see him in there. I'm just doing a quick... Run down, see if there's anybody else that I really recognize. Maybe some Franz lifters. Hmm. Nobody else that I immediately recognize, but uh, some interesting names. Oh, I, is that Mike Goldman, current 2XL member? I'll have to ask him if that's him. It's M. Goldman, 2105 total of 275. Maybe. Oh, he's got an 865 squat. We'll have to ask our member, Mike Goldman, yeah. if that is him here on the top 100 list, 275, 1997, 1998. Yeah, so you put a, put a little, little yeah, I'll tab to, on that. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll check on that later. Um, so that is our, our Powerlifting USA throwback. Um, Mr. Bain, I think we've got an interesting topic to talk about today. Yeah, I think I so. I figured episode 50... And we've we've been maybe kind of angry lately. Although yeah, I, don't, I don't know that we were necessarily angry at the Dr. Fred interview. Maybe a little bit. I then. think the Dr. Fred interview got people angry. Yeah, maybe. Um, and we were kind of angry uh, at the beginning of this episode. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about something a little bit more positive. Let's talk about like strength. Why? Why? Why do you and I? Why do all of us probably listening to this podcast? Mm-hmm. Or thinking about why do we actually compete in powerlifting? Yeah. One of our most popular episodes was why equipped lifting. Mm-hmm. And I think that was partly the the equipped part. People wanted to hear about that. But I think, you know, it is there's some value in articulating um, specifically, like, why do you do what you do? Like, I, I know Agreed. we all do it, and I always spend a lot of time to it. I mean, how many hours would you say that you and I spend training per week? 
you know, for me, I would say it's a minimum two hour bench workout most mm-hmm. weeks, a minimum three hour squat workout, probably another two hours deadlifting, and then at least an hour doing an accessory day, you know? So that's what, three, five, eight hours? Ten. Yeah. Yeah. Say eight to 10 hours a week. And I would I mean, say, I'm I mean, probably obviously in the, the gym a lot, yeah. but that's just my own powerlifting training. So when you, for just training, yeah, I would say I'm probably pretty similar. Then you throw in the my my commute down here because it is you know half hour ish for me to get down here. Um, so you throw in and that's four to five days a week. So there's another eight to ten hours, uh, you know, between driving and if you don't stop anywhere. Then you got the recording of the podcast. Then you've got any nutrition stuff, so prepping food. All that. Like you're looking at you know fifteen twenty hours a week minimum that you're dedicating to a hobby that you pay to do. Yeah, and uh, so why do we spend all our time doing this? Um, we, we each came up with our, like, five to six fundamental reasons. Yeah. You know, why back in May of 1998 did I enjoy lifting weights so much that I decided I wanted to compete a year and change later? Yeah. Um, I probably decided about a year later. I didn't c- compete for another right. six months after that. Right. Um, so number one for me is just to challenge myself. Right. And, you know, like almost all sports – Powerlifting allows you to challenge yourself. You know, certainly physically, there's very few sports that challenge you in a muscular strength manner as powerlifting. Uh, agreed. Um, you know, I would say strongman is up there. I would say Olympic weightlifting is up there. Um, those are a little less, you know, uh, attainable for the average person. You know, it, right? Uh, strongman definitely. I mean, you need not just to be strong; you need to be big. And started that's just pure genetic. Right. I mean, you you just need to be tall and big. There's not a lot of short strongmen. Olympic weightlifting, you know, it's not quite as strength-oriented. You know, it still is a barbell strength power Mm -hmm. kind of sport. A lot more technique. Yeah. Uh, Powerlifting, you know, it definitely allows you to continue challenging yourself after your team sports career is over. You and I both talked today about us being in high school, me playing football, Mm -hmm. you playing soccer. I played a little volleyball in high school. Um, but previous to that, I did play soccer. I played basketball. Mm-hmm. I played a lot of different sports. I, I participated in track. Um, Ugh, you know, we, we ran on purpose, gross. Yeah. Uh, actually, I did, I did a little throwing. I should have done that in high school, actually, throwing shots. I, I, th- I threw I threw shot, threw disc, threw the weight, threw the hammer. Did, yeah? Yeah. I sh- if, if they had had it in college, that's when I did track, I, I would have been a decathlete because I had huh. a wide enough berth of, of talent. Oh, okay. I could have cool. done that. Um, you know. For me, especially the objective nature of mm-hmm. powerlifting, it demands that you push your limits because Agreed. it's not like with soccer or basketball or football where, like, of course you're pushing your limits, but there's not that same, like, well, I have done this before, so I've done X, mm-hmm. so now this time I have to do X plus. Right. Um, that objective nature of you versus the weight in a very objective fashion demands that you push your limits. You have to do things regularly in powerlifting that you've never done before. Right. Like if you're progressing in the sport or even to some degree remaining the same, you have to do things that you have not done before. And that challenge um, is what I think attracts so many people to the sport. Mm -hmm. The progressive overload nature of powerlifting, of training for powerlifting, um, you know, there's that challenge and adapt, mm-hmm. challenge, adapt. Your body adapts what you do, and you have to provide it with new stimuli. You have to provide it with a new challenge for, to continue to adapt, to continue to progress. So that challenge is what is 
continued to keep me, you know, in the sport for 20 plus years. Right. For me, it, it's a place to set goals and especially deadlines. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that second part is plausibly more important than many people realize. Uh, it's huge. Um, you know, and, and it's not that you need to be competing all the time, but when you are competing, when there's the prospect of competing in the near future, there there's a fine. It's just like in when they talk about an economics where scarcity you know, creates the market. If there's mm-hmm. unlimited value, like let's say that sometime in the future that, you know, we create the, uh, instead of nu- nuclear fusion, we connect, uh, ne- instead of nuclear fission, we create the nuclear fusion, you know, power plant where right. power is almost unlimited, right. where it costs cents to, to power Fra- your house. Fr- fractions of cents and it right. never runs out. Right. You know. Reduce it, its own. It, no and then we create the, the Star Trek, uh, you know, what is that thing, the, the the replicator, where you can basically turn matter into any other matter. Right. Yes, in that future, we don't need, we don't need money in the Star Trek world because right. there's no more scarcity to items. It's and, basically yeah. things are infinite almost. Right. Um, and I think sometimes that happens with people's training when they say, oh, I want to do X, but there's no end date to that. There's no scarcity. There's no... Uh, definitive end date there's no deadline and that scarcity that urgency of knowing okay hey Bane knows that in a week and a half he's stepping on the platform yep. or or he's not i guess but he knows that in a week and a half you know six months ago when he decided to do this or maybe maybe it was more like four nah, months say ago. it was probably like two ish months ago okay months maybe ago. <laughs> three months ago when he decided he wanted to do this he knew that okay if i'm going to do that I'm going to have to kick my training into overdrive. I can't skip on workouts like mm-hmm. I might if there was nothing immediately in the future. Right. Um, you have a reason not to miss workouts, not to skip exercises in your program, because you know that you're going to be tested on the platform in the near future. Mm-hmm. And to me, th- that deadline nature of competing in powerlifting and not just saying, hey, you know, yeah, I'm going to get stronger and every once in a while I'm going to test myself. Right. Um, and and the act of actually competing is in a similar fashion because sure, maybe I could squat, you know, seven hundred fifty pounds in the gym mm-hmm. with my perfect song on, and with you know taking as much time as I want between exactly. sets, exactly, and taking as long as I want to get set up under the bar, having the bar at exactly the right height at my own gym mm-hmm. with my own spotters and you know, height oh, fifteen, yeah. two extra pumps, and you are right there on depth, yeah. And all, but when you step on the platform and there's, again, that scarcity of time, you have to perform at a certain time. You have mm-hmm. to warm up at a certain time. You can't take as much time or as little time as you want. Right. You've got three people judging your lift to ensure that it's done properly. Um, you've got to wait for judges' commands. All those little things add up mm-hmm. to making it a more difficult environment than just saying, eh, I'm just going to go max out. And sure, that's fine if you want what you want to do, um, but... That's not the same challenge as competing in powerlifting. Right. Now, um, one aspect of like, you know, when you talk about individuals that, you know, are in a fitness routine to lose weight and Mm -hmm. they always kind of have an end goal of their body weight. Right. I usually tell them, sure, that's fine if that's your end goal. I get it. Perfect. Uh, I I try to have them focus more on the process. Mm -hmm. And as you talked about earlier, I'm not sure I agree with, you know, two 45-minute workouts per day. But, I mean, I, I get the premise of creating healthy habits because mm-hmm. it's the same premise I'm talking about here in that 
you want someone to establish the healthy habits and the process so that once they hit that end whatever body weight that they had goal in their mind, right. they don't just throw it all up in the air. Exactly. And so because of that deadline nature of powerlifting, I think some lifters do have to be wary of not always chasing that mm-hmm. and making sure that you do have an off season and readjusting your goals to say, okay, I'm going to take three months to focus on X so that then after that three months, I can take two months to focus again on another month. On Y and then on. Right. And say, okay, I'm going to take some time to work on my weak points. So the next time I have that, that deadline and that goal nature of doing a meet, I can approach it in a better fashion. Right. That is probably the, the long-term challenge um, of having that, that deadline. The camaraderie of the sport, that's my, my number three reason. Um, the open nature of the sports, the camaraderie, the friendliness even, mm-hmm. is, is what attracted you, me to the Usually. Sp- yeah, usually. <laughs> no, but that's what attracted to me to the sport at the third floor in Franz Gym as a 17-year-old kid mm-hmm. in high school uh, back in 2000. Usually, now I'm not going to say always, but usually in most meets, um, even lifters in the same weight class and division pull for each other. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably more true in the APF than it is in other organizations. That's uh, been my experience. It's my experience um, as well. And that's one of the reasons why I continue to support the APF. I think that's the type of philosophy and the type of environment that Ernie Franz... Um, that's what he fostered. Right, right. That's exactly what I was looking for. That's what he fostered from the, the inception of the APF. Not that there aren't competitive meets in the APF and not that lifters didn't want to do well. Right. Um, but I think it was that type of environment that was supportive of everybody that was the case at Franz Gym, the case at Franz Gym Meets, and the case at APF Meets in general. That yeah, that, that ethos of a rising tide raises all ships and, yes. and bringing everyone along with you, I think that was what Ernie preached to, yeah. to everybody. And you see that throughout the, the, the family tree, so to speak, of the Franz Gym. And you look at all these different, you know, gyms that have now come up, you know, throughout the Chicagoland area and beyond, and those who knew Ernie, or know Ernie, I should say, that there is that ethos that is just everybody supports everybody because if you if you win, wouldn't you rather beat somebody on their best day? Yeah, no doubt. Um, and I do think because of that same reason, I, I think this is probably more apparent in equip lifting mm-hmm. than in some of the new raw lifters. I'm not mm-hmm. going to say all raw lifters because I think, again, if you go to raw meets in the APF WPC, yeah. I mean, we've gone overseas and it's been the same – supportive environment. Yeah. I mean, you cheering for your competitors, them mm-hmm. cheering for you. Correct. Um, and that's what's, you know, kind of kept me coming back. And it, it is a family-type environment when you go to APF WPC meets. Agreed. Um, and everyone cheers for everybody else, whether it's grandma going for her 95-pound bench mm-hmm. or whether it's somebody going for, a, a you know, an all-time world record or whether it's somebody going for a world record. Lombard record breakers. Right. <laughs> we actually did do a record breakers meet years ago, ironically. Oh, my God. <laughs> Maybe we should do that again. <laughs> Jesus. Um, as part of a plan to stay healthy, I think powerlifting can fit into that. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying powerlifting in and of itself isn't necessarily healthy. Correct. <laughs> and I, I'm not going to say that powerlifters as a whole are necessarily healthy as a group <laughs> than the average person. Correct. No. I, I would say a lot of that is some power lifters take the opportunity to just get big and strong mm-hmm. as, hey, I'm going to eat whatever I want 
and I'm just going to lift heavy weights for singles. And you can sometimes get like an asshole. And you can get really strong that way. For me as a lighter weight lifter, I do think that powerlifting is a part of my kind of long-term staying healthy plan. And that consistent training, working out, Mm -hmm. um, for me, staying in a couple particular weight classes help keep keeps my body weight under control. Mm-hmm. And that in general, you know, keeping yourself strong, continuing to keep your, your GPP or your work capacity up um, can be part of the plan, not the only thing, but part of the plan to keep yourself healthy along with, you know, some cardiovascular exercise, mm-hmm. not a ton, but some, along with just general physical activity, you know, along with getting outside. All the things we talked about last week with yeah, Dr. Fred. Exactly. I do think that powerlifting, challenging yourself, certainly challenge your immune system. I think that that can help keep you healthy. Um, It can't be the only thing. And again, like when I'm pushing the limits training the last four weeks for for a meet, that's not necessarily when I'm at my healthiest. Like my joints are kind of achy. Oh, my God. That's what I'm feeling right now. Yeah. I mean, when you get to the end of a training cycle, when you're actually training for a competition close to it, it's you're, you're prioritizing one rep max strength and performing three lifts over everything else versus right. that's what I do like that in-season, off-season t- type of setup. I know at Westside, we don't have an off-season. We can prepare for a meet at three weeks, anytime, it's anyway, two weeks a year. Never, ever do we do a deload either. Right. We just do a replacement effort. Right. So for <laughs> me, I do kind of like that that off-season, in-season, especially as someone who who really more competes on a long-term fashion, like maybe I do one, two meets a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, maybe I, I have a run of like I've done the last few years where I have a run of really focusing on bench for a couple of years. And then it's like, all right, now maybe I'll go back and have a run of focusing on full power. Right. Um, or now I'm going to have a run of a couple of years of trying to get to a lower body weight for eh, maybe about two, three years, a number of years ago, I, I really had a focus on trying to keep my body weight down to 165 and, you know, taking another... Ew. And taking another run at a big squat at 165. Not, sure. Not totally fully successful, but I, I do think if you want to stay in the sport long term, you need to kind of have phases of your training where it's like, okay, I'm going to take a two or three year period and really focus on, you know, one or two specific goals right. different than what I have been doing. Right. Because um, it also allows you to recover in other areas. Right, exactly. Um, and uh, my final one is that, you know, it is a sport activity that you can participate in for your lifetime if yeah. you would like your and it's life. something that i plan on at least i will definitely train for the rest of my life whether i compete for the rest of my life is is probably less certain right because um, i don't i never know what the future may may hold knock on wood i've been pretty fortunate on not really having any major injuries or surgeries or anything like that yeah, you know sucks. i've had some hip issues i've had some shoulder issues um you know, I've had some elbow issues, I've had some back issues, but nothing's mm-hmm. been so serious that I've had to go under the knife um, to date. Well, in that case, you're not a real powerlifter, sir. Yeah, well, maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, you yeah, know, for sure. We've got age divisions going up to 80 plus. Um, you know, and if somebody 90 wants to get in, then yeah, we'll make one for them. You too. know, if you continue, if I, if you and I keep doing meets and keep getting older, eventually we'll finally start to win some best lifters because we'll just. I, I have won best lifter before. Thank you very much, oh, sir. Well, I haven't won too many of them at, at a nationals and at a world's. Oh, well. Congratulations. Yeah. So some of the other of us can just wait to get old enough so we can finally win some best lifters again. I've won best lifter twice. UCH and I, coefficient. And I didn't fucking even get an award for either of them. One, I didn't find out. It was my first nationals, ironically. I Jesus. won the best teenage lifter. I didn't find out until he sent the letter like a month later. Didn't get an award. 
Um, and then the other one, I figured out myself later that they messed up the award at mm. the 2006 state meet. And uh, because Maris, unfortunately, was doing that by hand mm. and found out later that I won, but I never got a, I never got a, tro- no, not that I needed a trophy. Right. But whatever. Well, I, I've, I've won, I take it back. I have won best lifter at two raw challenges, but it was both APF that I won best lifter in. Not I, APF? Not APF. I did, I did the whole, you know, enter everything and win everything type thing. But yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. But, you know, I've won. I got a lot of medals for you a, coming up players. Yeah. Hopefully. Uh, but yeah, I've won a APF, AAPF Nationals Best Heavyweight, and then last year, 2019, AWPC Worlds, I won Best Lifter. Okay. Um, so, you know, it is likely that if you're competing at the highest level of powerlifting, yes. there is a window for that. Yes. So you're probably not going to be able to push it to the absolute limit and be a Dave Hoff for the entirety of your lifetime. No. No. If Dave Hoff wanted to, could he – there's probably going to be a time when he's going to take a step away from everything he's doing. If he wanted to come back five years, ten years later and compete again, not at the same level as a master's lifter after having a ten-year run of yeah. lifting, sure, he can. Um, he's not going to be doing 1,200-pound squats in his 50s More like he is likely. now. But could he come back and you know squat a grand as a master's lifter? Sure. Um, but that that is – that's something that attracts me to powerlifting, something you can continue to do, especially equipped lifting. I know this is more general, not just, you know, equipped or raw. This is just right. general, why powerlifting? But right. equipped lifting does allow you to continue to compete to support the joints and, you know, as a master's lifter, continue to, you know, make progress and, you know, sometimes shield some of those aches and pains. Yes, definitely. So, definitely. so those are the stone five. Mr. Bain, how about your top five to six why powerlifting reasons? Yeah, so I, you know, when you and I talked about this, I, I thought about it for for a little bit. You know, why powerlifting? Because it's at this point, it's been so ingrained in both of our lives, right? You know, you've been doing this for for twenty years. I've been doing this now for seven, eight years. I've been lifting for you know probably twenty plus years as well. Uh, first things first, you know, like you mentioned, challenge yourself, and it's a place to compete. I've been competing my entire life. You know, I started playing soccer, you know, when I was five. I did track. I did all the other sports, and I just I love to compete, and you can do it in a professional sense too, doing sales, doing you know, helping build companies, whatever. But in the, the day, I, I want to do something for me, and so that, that was always something uh, that I wanted. And and honestly, I wanted to push the limits of what my body can do. You know, I always liked that. I felt thought that uh you know living in iowa you, you hear about dan gable right and you know tremendous of, of course tremendous coach i'm sure you hear a lot about him in iowa oh my god ad nauseum but i i liked a lot of his training philosophies and i remember one of the things that you know he was talking about pushing your body and i really liked that and he said he always wanted to train so hard that he would black out and you know playing soccer i never got to do that i sure should have done that doing powerlifting so i think that's pretty cool so I always, uh, you know, just like to push the limits of what, you know, the body can handle. Um, I, I like being different. Uh, you know, playing soccer, obviously, it's a little different, you know, because nobody cares about soccer. And I always really enjoy just being a little bit unique and, uh, you know, be my own little special boy. Uh, I, oh, you're so special. I am special. I've also told people, like, one of the coolest things about powerlifting is you get to cheat death. You know, the, the weights that... And you, you said there, you and I are not like world class, so to speak, powerless. We're we're strong, but we're not, you know, these otherworldly. Like people are not going to be talking about, oh man, you know, Robert Bain is like the, the God's gift to the platform. It's never going to happen. But the ways that you and I handle, they are still significant, right? Like that, like the average person to hear Eric Stone holds five hundred pounds over his face. That that's a that's a real number. 
And the idea that you can, you know, push that away from you and, and control it and, and, you know, secure that weight. The idea that, you know, I've got a shot at squatting 700 you know, pounds here in a couple of weeks. That's a really exciting thing. That weight should kill you. And it doesn't. And, and I just think that's just a, a really cool feeling. And, you know, being transparent, I've, I've done a decent amount of drugs in my lifetime. And there is no better high than hitting a lift that you've been working for for, you know, a long period of time. Um, I haven't done many drugs, but I would agree with the high. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Mr. Bain, when you put on some equipment, maybe this next year, mm-hmm. uh, to me, that, that, uh, that high is a whole nother level in gear. That's, my opinion. That, that's what I hear. And that's one of the things that I'm really excited about is the one is the idea that I can, you know, stretch out my time and really like keep myself put together. But the idea that, you know, there's an exponential amount of weight and excitement that goes into that. So, uh, Number three, that families can do it together. You know, I, I think that's another one that I think we'll probably save a lot more deeper dive uh, for a different uh, podcast. But, you know, my daughter does this with me. And, that you know, you've been around for many of these, Eric, but I've shared some incredibly special memories with, you know, my oldest daughter. Uh, yeah, even if she never does another meet again. Yeah. I mean, we've... I think she will, but I'm just... Right. Even if not, she can look back very fondly if, on those, you know, those trips to, you know... South venues. Carolina and Florida. I mean, the idea that... Me and my daughter represented Team USA at a world event. I think is just so inc- and did it together and competed together. I think it's just so incredible. It's so unique, and and I wish every parent could do that. And and I hope you know I hope Jacob and or Alice decide they want to do it too. And because I would love for you to be able to share that same moment that Lily and I had. Uh, it was really just one of the coolest things ever. You know what's interesting is you you hear a lot of uh, pro athletes. Mm-hmm pro wrestlers especially maybe sometimes performers um like i heard recently shane mcmahon vince mm-hmm. mcmahon's son yep. who wrestled a little bit i mean he was never a, a full-time wrestler no, he's part of the company he does yeah but he, he did i mean i was at the 2000 backlash pay-per-view where he jumped off the fucking titantron <laughs> insane Jesus. and one of the things that he said and I, i've heard other performers athletes say this is they had retired. Now, I don't know if he ever formally retired, but he wasn't active in wrestling. Mm-hmm. But he came back in the last yeah, three, four years, not semi-current, but you know, maybe like 2016, 2017, 2018, mm-hmm. and, and performed again. And one of, the things he, one of the reasons he said he wanted to do that was so that his kids mm-hmm. could see him perform. Yeah. And, and, you've, and you've, you know, I can imagine a time maybe when Jacob is... 13, 14, 15 years old. So we're talking five, six, seven years. Maybe I've taken some time off the platform. Yeah, sure. But for that same reason, you know, you might say, hey, yeah, I'm going to strap it up again. I'm going to do another meet so I can compete alongside him or I compete alongside Alice. And yeah. I think there's there's something to that, to to doing it, you know, with your kids that it's, it's, it is unique, definitely. It is. And, and, you know, I mean, LeBron James talks about it where he wants to be in the NBA long enough that he can potentially play alongside his oldest son. And... You know, obviously that's a whole different level than what we're talking about here. But it's but it's like it's Are a, you a LeBron James fan? I know you're a big Kobe fan. Yeah, I like LeBron. Okay. I'm I wouldn't say I'm like against LeBron. I'm just not a big fan. I mean, I'm I'm not like comparatively no, I'm a much bigger Kobe fan than I am uh, LeBron. Yeah. I'm definitely I was not a Kobe fan, but I'm more a Kobe fan now in comparison to LeBron. Fair. Uh, uh, I'm a, I'm definitely an MJ fan like tippy top. Understand. Especially after watching the the documentary, I like have like more respect than I ever had for Michael Jordan, just because he's such a maniacal, crazy competitor. I, just, I think Kobe is the the to me is the medium between LeBron and Michael. 
Yeah, Kobe was certainly a, 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 a maniacal competitor as well. Oh yeah, I think LeBron of the three probably has the most raw athletic talent. Yes. I think I think Jordan was the hardest worker and the cr- most. The, he's just the, the craziest. Just craziest. Yeah. Fuck. Watch that documentary. He's oh, just. I he's can, a. He's. Just, I mean. I might actually run that back this weekend. Like, yeah, I, I've yeah. watched it. I think twice through. I mean, that line of like insanity and top competitors a very fine line. He he walked it. Yeah, he did. Anyways, yeah, anyways, um, but but anyway, the the idea of competing with family and I mean, and your wife is you know is yeah, a competitor and yeah, and you I guys mean, you guys met on a powerlifting team. Yeah, I mean, I talked about camaraderie and, and the the why equip lifting. I talked yeah. about you know that that equip lifting is a team sport. I mean, my wife and I literally met mm-hmm. powerlifting and we've spent a good portion of our lives lifting together. Yeah. Um, and you know, one of the things she said to me when we first started dating, and I probably thought the same thing, is she said, hey. You know, just remember the weights are here before you, and they, they, they will plausibly, be here after you. they plausibly would be here after you. Right. So exactly. don't expect if we break up, I'm gonna stop lifting. Which I said, hey, that's great. Cool. Um, for me, it, it's a way that I fight depression. And so, you know, some people say, oh, my, the gym is my outlet. It's not so much that it's my outlet. It is, I'm able to derive value, and provide value to people uh, by contributing in a multitude of ways. You know, one of the things that I've I've mentioned a little bit, I think I, I, you know, I'll say this now. I think it might behoove us to do an episode after the meet to talk about the process of me getting hurt and then c- coming back. Um, yeah, one of the things that I hate yeah let's make sure this. that it's all successful. Yeah, I think exactly. I think it will be, but yeah, exactly. That's why I said afterwards, not before. Sounds good. I I hit a period of depression that was fairly significant during that time because I was concerned that, you know, while many lifters have come back from this very similar injury, this was the first time that I've been majorly injured, first time I've ever gone under the knife for an injury. And I was concerned, like, what if something goes wrong? What if I'm not able to do the things I want to do? One of the things I I enjoy doing the most is, you know, being the platform manager at the WPO. And, you know, I hope I get to do that again next year. And, you know, if there was a, ch- a chance I wasn't going to be able to do that, you know, that was that hurt a lot. Well, and we're also talking about a time during the shutdown when mm-hmm. I would say the average mental health of the average person was, in the world was 50% worse than normal. At least. I and, mean, I was depressed yeah. because I wasn't doing shit. Yeah, oh, I know. And I, and I, I didn't, it. And I didn't blow up my bicep either. Yeah. So, you know. Uh, that might be an interesting episode to do, to, to look back at mm-hmm. the coronavirus shutdown and – the effect it had on us, the world. I mean, I, mental I, health. I know I came into the gym very shortly after you either done crying or you were very upset. Uh, it was, yeah. Sorry yeah. to throw that out there for everybody. Oh but, yeah, I, mean, I don't I, know that I cried, but I, I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying I haven't and wouldn't. Yeah, but, but you were I, you were definitely upset. <laughs> oh yeah, there, there's definitely been a number of times when I was very upset during that shutdown. Yeah. So. Anyway, so I, I, I'm able to kind of combat that by being able to provide value in a variety of ways. Because I found ways that I was able to do that. I was able to help my training partners. I was able to provide, you know, there was still stuff up in my noggin that I was able to provide to people. And so I think that was really cool. I was able to do that. Uh, I get to eat a lot. and I love to eat. Uh, so, you know, you mentioned earlier about the staying healthy. I mean, I, I do get to eat a lot of food, whether it is good food or bullshit, and, you know, lift heavy weights. And I, I do enjoy that. Well, and because, you know, if you even look at it from a, a energy balance standpoint, certainly our caloric output mm-hmm. is definitively higher than the average than person. The average person. Yes. So we're, we're allowed to eat a little bit more, certainly, yes. because... Keto know, brownies and, you know, paleo cheesecake and everything. Is great. Yeah, definitely. It's all keto, all paleo. 
Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, the amount of caloric output on a heavy squat day is pretty fucking high. There's oh, a reason that yeah. Jack and I talk about squat naps because yeah. we go home and we're just exhausted after a heavy geared squat day. You, I, I can't wait until you text me 24 hours after like <laughs> a heavy geared squat day and you're like, what the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> it's like this really odd neuromuscular CNS fatigue that it's, it's hard to describe if you haven't. I, I would say like, I, I remember the first time that I had like a true squat workout, raw squat workout with power lifters, how my body just felt like, I mean, I felt like I got hit by a truck and it wasn't soreness. It was like, I, my body just felt like it was ready to shut down. Yeah. It's that CNS fatigue. And so I'm like, I am, ex- I am expecting that it is going to be something exponentially more, but similar again, it's on a higher level with, uh, you know, the first time I'm squatting in full gear. The last one is, you know, I, I wrote this, you can go on forever, but more importantly, one of the things that most athletes never get to do, and we talked about being able to participate for a lifetime. Most athletes never can. Yeah. But they also don't get to write their own ending. Most of the time, the vast majority of athletes, even powerlifters don't get to. The cool thing about it is that because of the nature of the sport and the nature of, you know, you basically get to choose how you compete. You can write your own ending. And I think there's something very therapeutic about that. And if if you haven't watched it, I'll probably repost it again because I just love watching the video of Dave Kirchin walking off the platform at the WPL semifinals. One of the coolest moments I've ever seen in all of sports, but especially powerlifting, because Dave did it his way. He did it the way he wanted to. And that is one of the things that I look at over and over and over again, thinking that what a unique sport that you get to choose the way you go out. So very few get to do that. You don't get the victory tour like, you know, Kobe got to do it. Dwayne Wade got to do it. But so very few people get to choose their their exit. And and Dave did. And I'm like, I think there will be powerlifters that decide to do that as well. And you'll see it more and more where it's like, hey, I'm just going to coach. I'm just going to do this. You know, you saw Brian Carroll retire till his next meet. Um, Ken Stone has famously said yeah. many, many times mm-hmm. whenever any lifter says they're retired, he always says, oh, until your next meet. Yes. Yes, that's why, that's why I threw it in there for Brian Carroll. And yeah, well, because Carroll's retired before. So exactly. the plausibility that he does another meet, I'd say, is uh, high. Compared to Dave Kirchner, yes. I, I would. Yeah, no, 100%. definitely. I, I think it's also plausible Dave Kirchner does another meet. I, I'm not, I'm not going to say he will, but I'm going to say it's the, the chances are not zero. Correct. I mean, come on. Michael Jordan said he was 99% certain he was never going to play basketball again. So you're saying there's a chance. And then he came back and played for the Washington <laughs> fucking Wizards. <laughs> Ugh, gross. So, so the, the idea that you, if you want to, you can write your own ending. And I love that. I think that's beautiful. I think that's, there's something very poetic about that in sports. I have, I've always thought of sports, not just as physical activity, but it's also an art. And so I really, really love that ability to write that ending. So, yeah, yeah. that's that's my six. Yeah. Uh, you got more, one more than me. I figured five was good, but I like your six. I like, uh, I like that I get to eat a lot. Yeah. Um, that, uh, that's a good one. I, I should love add. food. That's what I should add on as well, because I do enjoy eating. You know what's funny is that, like, have you ever met somebody that really doesn't like eating? You it's, know, I have, and it's fu- like, it's, we do not vibe. It's really weird. It's like, I don't, like, did your family growing up, was, like, food, like, a cornerstone of, like, oh when you God, get together yeah. with family, it's, like, what you, like, you have homemade and, food. And, and like, you were applauded for how much you could eat. Right, and you talk, of, like, in my family, like, you talk about, okay, here's mm-hmm. what we're going to make at this family exactly. function, and, like, people are assigned different tasks. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of controversy in the stone house on a certain side dish that it happens to be my favorite Thanksgiving side dish that we'll just say wasn't done in the traditional fashion and uh, we will do a redo at Christmas time. You strongly objected to this? 
Uh, yeah, I did, and I <laughs> it still didn't go the way I wanted it. Um, my my mom makes like lumpy mashed potatoes from scratch. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't fully like mash them down. But man, I would punch a small child for these. They are so fucking good. Yeah, I mean it's funny because like I grew up in that. I think Jackie's family not quite as much, but definitely. I mean they're definitely big on food, but like. You know, it seems like my family, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it, they always talk about like Italian families where it's like yeah. an Italian family is like, yeah, everything, every, it's a big dinner table and yeah. everything goes around food. But the, I've met some people that like really just don't care about food. And it's really strange to me. It, it is. It's so I weird. can't imagine there's a lot of power lifters that are that way no. because I, I can't imagine you, you couldn't power lift without eating a good amount of calories. Yeah. Um, you'd, you'd, have a lot of, you'd have a lot of difficulty. Now, the, the being in August houses families, we are big on food, man. Yeah. So, um, you know, I know we probably at least have a few people listening to this that maybe say, hey, like, you know, uh, I have not competed yet. And they're listening to this saying, like, hey, all these reasons sound pretty good. Like, yeah, you know, I, 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 you've you've sold me, Bane and Stone. I mean, Bane, close, close the deal. Yeah, we, we've closed the deal. Don't, so, don't sell past. Yes. <laughs> so you maybe think like, OK, when should I compete now? If you want to listen to the archives, we do have an entire episode about your first powerlift to meet. And I highly d- recommend. I do believe we touch on like when is a good time to compete, but I thought it might be at least, uh, you know, valuable to go through some of those key points I've probably reiterated before. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have it, like when should you compete? So to me, you need at least a good three to six months of solid training under your belt. And if you're new just to powerlifting, I think three months is probably the bare minimum. I agree. Um, if you're new to lifting weights, I think you're talking at least six months, maybe more if you're new to physical activity. Mm-hmm. Like so if you're totally sedentary, you might need a year of six months getting in shape, three months preparing for a peaking cycle, and then three months of training for a powerlifting. It, it's, it, it's very different than a couch to 5K, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. I mean, and... The nice thing is that versus like when you're running, there is a requisite amount you have to finish. Like when mm-hmm. you run a marathon, like you're running that distance, whether you run it fast or slow, that's the distance. baby. That's the distance you're doing. 5K, I mean, I think you and I could probably go run a 5K. It wouldn't be pretty. I wouldn't want to, but yeah, I, I could. wouldn't want to. And I, I, yeah, I would hate life, but I could probably did, go do that. Did I ever tell you when Nick tricked me into doing a Tough Mudder? How did she trick you into doing it? So she told me that it was a 10K. And what was it? It's 10 miles. Yikes. Yeah. Those, I did those. I did zero training Ooh. for it. I was training mm. for 2016 Nationals. I did the Tough Mudder two weeks later. Ooh, man. That's it was uh, – it, no, it was not good. Even a 5K would be the maximum. And a Tough Mudder 5K is harder than a regular 5K because oh, you're yeah. running through some fucking mud. 27 obstacles and 10 fucking miles. Ooh, boy. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll, we'll I'll, I'll come back on that in a minute. Um, <laughs> but let, let's finish my thoughts on when you should compete. But, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, the, the big thing is you want to make sure you can perform the movements properly. Yes. And if you are someone that lacks good mobility, which is probably anybody over the age of 35. Um, the you can num- say over 30 at this point. Yeah, maybe over 30. I mean, if you've been sitting in front of Zoom for the last six months, that might be anybody of any age. That's what I'm saying. Including children. Um you have, you know you have to be able to hit proper squat depth and you have to be able to get a bar on your shoulders to squat those are probably the two biggest mobility limitations cuz mm-hmm. anybody can lay on their back and bring a bar to their chest and bench and deadlift is probably more Stand a matter up. so yeah. simple yeah well it's more a matter of of having good technique but mobility is going to come to play there but 
not as much with achieving legal depth on the squat. So that's usually the, the limiting factor for new lifters because there's no requisite strength level. If you can squat the empty bar, you can compete. Um, so that's, that's kind of my general recommendation. Any, anything to add on that if somebody wants to do their first meet? Uh, I would say if you want to do a meet, find, find a, a meet that you would like to do. I would look at, you know, especially if a meet is designed as a beginner's meet to excel. What's on those, by the way? That is a great place to start. And then look, look at one, you know, a few months out, as Eric talked about, maybe even a year. But reach out to the meet director. Say, hey, I'm interested in this meet. Here's my background of lifting. What would you recommend? And they're going to ask you a couple questions. They're going to say, at least if they're a good meet director, how long have you trained? The, you know, some of these backgrounds. And they're going to say, here, you know what? Come to the gym. Check us out. And let's help you get ready for this beginner's meet. I can guarantee that if somebody reached out to Eric and said those things, he would say, yes, I would love to have you in the gym and we can, you know, help you get ready for a meet. Yeah. And, and I would find, again, it is worth the investment. If you are hearing these things, say, I can do this forever, set the foundation right. Don't build your house on sand, build it on a rock. And and it's going to really, that that strong foundation is going to help build a lifetime of strength, of PRs, and honestly, of just great memories. I can tell you, and I, we've talked about this before. Go back to the episode we talked about, 2020 APF, APF Nationals in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Eric, it, our faces hurt. We were physically on the floor laughing as a team in the hotel room to the point that hotel security got called on us. <laughs> we weren't even that loud. Exactly. We've been way louder than that. Definitely. But, you know, I mean, definitely Gimmel. Yeah. So we, I mean... Just on the floor, laughing, falling out of furniture. I mean, it was just incredible. And we look back on it now. Those, are, honestly, are some, probably some of my best memories ever at any sporting event. Right. And it's like you, you hear players who are done, you know, playing their sport and mm-hmm. they're retired. And it's, they don't necessarily miss the competing and the grind. No. What they usually talk about is they miss is the locker room and yes. the camaraderie of their teammates. A good, good friend of mine played for the Bears, and he talks about the thing he looks forward to most is when they do the alumni events. Mm-hmm. Whether they're in public or they're the ones where just they're getting together for the big dinner or whatever right before the season when they used to do those, uh, they should hopefully do them again for next season. But that's what they love is seeing everybody again. Uh, they, he happened to play with uh, Anthony Adams. If people don't follow him, oh Spice my Adams. gosh, he is a, he is hilarious. So on, I've on I've socials. met him. He is hysterical yeah. in person because he he's edited on socials. He's not edited in person. Yes, and wow. I'll tell you what, man, he he is a trip. And but Brandon talks about that's what they all look forward to is you get a couple couple drinks in them and then it's just oh boy all, oh yeah it's no holds barred baby so that that's what I would recommend and 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 ask people like look reach out on social media I don't even know how many people reach out to me as well saying hey you know any recommendations on a meet or will you be competing at this meet and if I say yes or will I be spotting and loading yes you know will you be at the Lombard meet I will be at the Lombard meet I will be at all the Lombard meets yes at pretty much every single Lombard meet next year I've looked at my calendar I will be at. Yeah, I, I was training uh, one of our members here, Marissa. Mm-hmm. Not quite young Marissa, but young, not yes. youngest Marissa, but slightly older, but still young Marissa, who's been training with me for about three, four months. Mm-hmm. And I know she wants to compete. And so I said mm-hmm. to her, all right, here's the meets coming up next year. Because we got one like once a freaking month. Basically after January, yeah. And I was like, okay, February, May, or February, March, May. Yep. And I think we pretty much decided on a May meet. So it's it's a little bit out. I like it. Um, but that gives her a good solid time period to really you know, dial in what she wants. But that when we're talking about these reasons, you know, that's stuck in my head because I know that if she has that 
that date in her mind, even mm-hmm. though it's six months, more than six months from now. Yeah. Um, eh, maybe about six months from now. If, if she's got that stuck in her head that six months from now I need to step on the platform and compete, the last couple of weeks when she's skipped some squat workouts because they haven't been going great, mm-hmm. she is going to say, you know what? I need to get my ass to the gym, yep. and I need to get there and train because I know I've got a meet in six months, and I want to do my best. I'll tell you what, her squat looked good tonight. Yeah, well, I kind of got on her, got on her and said, <laughs> your squat looks good. We just need to squat more often. Yes. No, I, um, I agree. So. And, and I'll tell you this, too, that if you're if you're one of these people and you're thinking about it, not only do that first meet, drink in that experience, and from that first meet, plan the second. Yeah, and especially if you do like a beginner's meet, which isn't – I mean, it is a competition because it's sanctioned. But, but it's not a full-on meet experience. Right. It's not like going to a big Raw Power Challenge or Summer Bash or state meet where there's, you know yep. – you know, tons of lifters, 200 of, lifters, of, 500 people here. Yeah. Well, you know, non-COVID yeah. times. Yeah. That's, that's another story. Yep. So from there, Mr. Bain, uh, come, we didn't even talk about it last week coming up. Um, yeah. but you know, we, we've got a couple of interviews that are, we're kind of working on, um, I getting schedules figured out with the holidays and all that. Yeah. I don't know when stuff. those are going to happen. We, we've continued to do some background work on our PED episode. I don't know. We keep talking about that, but believe it or not, we have continued to be working on it. So, um, so let me just preface this. Like, we want to do this one right, and here's why. A couple of reasons. One, Eric and I are, aren't on anything, and so we can only speak from so much experience. Right. We can do research, but right. to be fair, you know, a lot of this – we'll talk about this in the episode, but a lot of what is known about using drugs because it's not typically prescribed by doctors, it is yep. bro science. It is. And, and I don't say that even negatively, but it's, it's a lot of anecdotal – it's experience, experiential. Yeah, experiential and trial and error from people that have been, you know, using these substances legally or illegally right. for, you know, and basically the entire existence of powerlifting. The history of powerlifting and is... The, and the APF. And the APF. I mean, somebody in the APF Facebook group was... Uh, and, and actually, that's another episode we've talked about doing is they posted a survey that a, a female individual did, and mm-hmm. she surveyed about, we'll say, 30 female powerlifters yeah. and all that use performance-enhancing drugs and survey them of various questions. And I don't want to go through them because I think that's a whole other episode we can do after our PED episode. Correct. Um, but then somebody commented in there and said, well, you know, I did it lifetime drug-free and blah, 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 which is great. Yeah. Cool. Whatever. And listen, all these organizations, not the APF. And it's like, listen, go back and listen to some of our episodes. One of the main reasons the APF was founded mm-hmm. was – so that it, there wouldn't be drug testing. Right. Because Ernie felt that it was disingenuous to have drug testing when basically everybody was on, right. even the IPF lifters. No. So, um, so yeah, we, we do want to do some in-depth research, and we want to get some of that anecdotal, you know, uh, I don't want to say evidence, but anecdotal uh we, you know, we want feedback, yeah. We want from individuals want that the, do have experience, and, and we've got a, a decent birth of folks. You know, we've got awesome uh, women. We've got folks who've been prescribed TRT. We have folks that are younger, folks that are old, folks that are off now that you know used to take. I think all those are important because again, you want to try to get as close as you can without doing a full study because we just simply can't do that right now. Right. Uh, you know, to to that view because I, I would say you and I are probably indifferent to taking it. We just choose not to. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm I'm ambiguous on that. Right. I, I really so it doesn't bother me. People take. I'd say the only thing that bothers me is when people take and compete tested, especially when there's the the clear and obvious yeah, ability to, to not yeah to not compete tested. And so, so yeah, we we just want to pr- present it to folks because again, I just don't think there's as much info as as is needed on these. No, things. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. Yes. 
Um, and that's one of the reasons why I want to do it. Yeah. But definitely. as we're maybe taking our time with that, maybe it's time for another Devil's Advocate Ooh, boy. episode. I've got one kind of percolating in my mind. Um, so we'll, we'll, we that might have to be a filler until we can line up some of these interviews in the PED episode. Sounds great. So I have only have one more question for you, Mr. Bain. Oh, really? What is that question, Eric? When are you going to squat 700? December 12th, 2020. My gut says approximately 10.30-ish a.m., so watch the live stream. It'll be on the 2XL Powerlifting Facebook page. It will. And now we're, uh, we're probably about, what, by the time I post this, about a week out or so? Or roughly a week out, yeah. Okay. Anything else to add, Mr. Bain? I don't know how I'm going to react if and when that squat is achieved. I will say, everybody who has asked me that question, thank you, because I will be thinking about you as I come out of the hole, because I swear to God, if somebody asked me that question again, they might get punched. With that, this is Eric Stone signing out. Strength and anger.